You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to a special extra episode of Fighting on Film. This week we did our special episode discussing Ridley Scott's Napoleon. And we had the absolute privilege of speaking to two of the advisors from the film. We spoke to Paul Biddis, who was the military advisor on the film. And we also spoke to Dr. Laurice Chevalier, who was the historical advisor on the film. And both of those guys gave us some fascinating insights into the, the difficulties and the joys of helping to contribute to making uh, Scott's Napoleon. And they gave us some really fascinating insights. So what we'll do now is we'll begin with Paul. And then at the end, after Paul, we'll have Laurie. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So um, that was the intro of the episode there. And I'm now joined by Paul Biddis, uh, the military advisor on Napoleon. Um, his credits include um, The Great Escaper, 1917, The Crown, Fury, and of course, the upcoming uh, Ridley Scott's next film, which will be Gladiator 2. Um, so, Paul, my first question for you is, is a simple one. 
Uh, how did you get involved in the film? Um, so I was on, um, I was doing some shoots for a film called Serrano, which was a musical, mm. which was first. And the uh, the unit production manager basically said, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working on uh, something called Kickbag. And it's all about, you know, Napoleonic stuff. And I said, okay, yeah, I've, I've done Napoleonic stuff before. He says, oh, well, look, you know, I want to put you forward for it. And I'm like, okay, fine. Because Joe Wright was basically bigging me up and saying I was his comfort blanket when I was on the show. Um, so, yeah, then I went to a meeting and then I was asked, all right, do you have a thick skin? And I'm like, yes. He says, okay. Um, so this is the project. Now, when I walked in, there's like storyboards already there. There's storyboards. It's like everything's already been mapped out, even before I'm actually involved in it um, or even seen a script. And so then... Um, yeah, that, that's basically it. I, I, I met the production staff and, you know, they have to make sure that the person they're bringing on board, first of all, has the, 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 the credits behind him to know that he's worked on a film set, that he understands the process, um, that he's not someone that's going to be constantly running around saying, you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't do that. You've got to try and provide solutions um, to problems that are faced towards you. You know, you've got cameras, you've got all these various different things. Um, that you have to take into um, uh, into consideration. Different departments you have to take into consideration. So they want to make sure that they've got the right person for the job that has actually got experience working on film sets. Um, and so, yeah, and then that's it. Then I, all of a sudden I got told exactly what it is. Um, and it went from there. Oh, great. Yeah. So in, in terms of uh, you on the shoot, how long are you on the shoot for? Like day one to the end, or are you are you coming um, in and yeah. coming out? So I was um, I was coming in every now and again um, for meetings, and merely that this stuff has already been thrashed out. So well before um, myself or Larice, for for that matter, were involved, um, a. A historical professor called Michael Bors, he's a professor in Oxford University. Mm-hmm. He was quite heavily involved with the writer and with the director. So a lot of stuff had been thrashed out. And I think there's an interview with Michael in, a, in Time magazine where a lot of the things which he saw in a script, he sort of went, Are you really going to do that? And, you know, end of day, it's like, Yes, that's what we're going to do. And mm. end of the day, he, he, all you could do is go, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I get your hands are tied at some point, aren't they? I guess. Well, look, end of the day, I mean, you you don't you, you're 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 on this ride, but it's not your train set. Um, yes, that's a good way of putting it, I guess. Yeah. And you are, you know, essentially, you can only advise and you can only flag things up, and you can write notes, you can write emails, and you can vocalize it. But if you keep on doing it, they will start getting very bored of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll you'll find your way on a P you know a P forty five very quickly because you'll start you know if you start going on about that one thing you're never going to move forward and you've got to know when what battles to choose what battles to to draw back from yeah um so yeah so you so you know for that it's literally you you're on there and then you you look at the script and even though when you're not asked to write notes you write notes this doesn't like this wouldn't happen blah 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 and you you do it in a in a, in a very diplomatic way um because there's lots of egos in in the film industry mm. and you know you you 
it's a very fine line to trade. So you've got to be diplomatic and you've got to give some solutions to how certain things um, would work. And the scripts evolve as well. So you get the first script, it then completely changes and then it changes again. And then things get added, then things get taken away. So the script is evolving. And the first time you see it, all of a sudden it's in your email. Boom, new, new, uh, new. Script. Is mm. that DPM you've got there? DPM jackets you've got in the back there? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's my little collection. Yeah. <laughs> little collection. <laughs> I tell you what, I've got so much stuff in my loft. I've got even, I've got fins, I've got parachutes, I've got all sorts. <laughs> Love that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my little museum. Yeah. Um, so um I guess well from from that I guess um talking about script changing and things like that I guess um what, what was your biggest challenges on set for you as a military advisor what are the things that you you know you wake up one day and you go oh, wow you know this is going to be a toughie right the the landscape in which you've got to work now when I'm you know, I I'm, I was I was like constricted to a budget where I was allowed to have a team for the boot camp mm-hmm. and then I was only allowed to have one person with me for um to help me with assist me with the filming because we've got um 250 in one part of of the of the um of the landscape of british and then 250 about a k away mm. we got horses and you got cannons and so i've got i said right you know i'd say to uh, my guy romano I said romano right i need you to stay with that side i need you to make sure the ad's don't move people out so I've got my mm. green ears, I've got my line infantry, I've got my, I've got my, my flank, my flank um, companies. Don't take that, just make sure that the facings are correct, that they're not taken out. And the same goes for the French. I've got my Voltigeers, I've got my grenadiers, I've got my, my, my line infantry. Please don't move those out of the way. Now what happens, you've got ADs, assistant directors, mm-hmm. and they've got the first AD in there, and they want to impress the first AD, and they're running around sometimes like headless chickens. And this happens on most films. And so I'm running to one part and then I'm getting a, a, a call. Now, Paul, you, you, got to, you need to come over. You need to help us. Uh, FX, Paul, this, what, what will you be doing with this? So I've got to go up to the cannons. Then all of a sudden I've got to run back to the where the directors called for me. And then I've got to, And I'm clocking up sometimes about 30 miles in a day. Yeah. You've got to be very fit. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And then what happened halfway through Waterloo, because I was always ribbing for it, Romano, you, you had to go to the Ukraine. To do you know for the obvious reasons mm-hmm. and, um i always rib him for it and i'm like you you went able you you, you deserved me at waterloo because you left me on my own because then all of a sudden <laughs> i've got to do the whole lot on my own running around hardly eating if it wasn't for some of the extras i wouldn't have ate mm. um, but so, i mean but you've there's so many every day is a very hard challenge you know when you work on a ridley scott film he's got 11 cameras working on the go right and it's and if one guy out of that 500 turns left instead of right if he moves out if he goes ahead of the line if he if he falls back because he's decided he's too tired right one shot could cost around about 60k yeah i'm gonna say that the money implications of that the is implications huge. the time yeah. implications are huge and if one guy cannot cut it if one guy just forgets the basic drill that we're teaching them he, you know, it's, it's it, it's gone. And and he will notice it. And then it's like, cut, right, reset. And, then, you know, and it's not a good thing to happen. So every day was a challenge. But for me, my my uh, my sleepless nights was forming the square. Right, yeah, yeah. It was my sleepless nights because I'd train guys to form square from column. 
and also from line. I train the guys to form column to line and line to column. And that's not an easy task when you've got 500 guys who the majority had never even touched a musket, let alone marched. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, you're doing, you're drilling it and drilling it and drilling it. And you've got to do a generic drill. You can't do 100% from the manuals. You cannot do the 100% because they're going to forget half of it. These, mm. these are not trained soldiers. Um, and if you, I don't know if you saw the last like, remembrance parade, yep. trained British soldiers, trained men, TikToking out mm-hmm. of step. I'm like, none of my guys were out of step ever. Yeah. When they were marching, I don't know if you've seen the, the video I put together. I put it all down. I put it together for the extras. I put a video of the boot oh, camp. I think, yeah, seen bits of that, yeah. Yeah, and I train these. And, and this is, we're training in a COVID environment as well. So you've got that. So I've got guys in, in various formations and we're having to test guys to make sure that we test every guy on muskets to see who is safe and proficient. We've got armors. It takes a long time for the armors to load up the pans and the barrels of the muskets they have to be taken out they have to be loaded once they're all loaded and we know that everyone's safe they then put back in and then we got to do the, the the moving forward online then we got to halt then we got to form that the square then the the, the, the cavalry come and that was all done in one and then they got to fire mm. numbers and they have to fire on numbers and you get some people oh that, they should be firing in companies and that's all well and good, but when you having to make sure that everything's safe and everyone is fired by a number, because you have to ensure that if someone hasn't fired, that they then got after a cut, they've got to be extracted and that weapon's got to be cleared. So unlike a real battlefield, there is more safety precautions. There's also the COVID. People got to put their masks on. And then you've got to remind them to take their masks off just before action. It's a lot, a lot of stuff. There's a lot going on. There's yeah. so much going on. So um, Sorry, in terms to interrupt, in terms of the square, like there's always something I think about. So, you know, I've seen 1970 Waterloo, you know, red accounts, things like that. How hard is it to train extras who are probably coming off of God knows what before doing Napoleon? They're being trained up. How hard yeah. is it for them to get them to stay in that square when they've got cavalry charging at them? That's got to be Do you know surely what? so difficult. It's all the guys, they stayed, they stayed the course, they did not move. And they wow. all enjoyed it. Yeah, you know I mean, we 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 taught them how to how to do the square. We you know in a, in a in a, a non sort of pressurized environment. We used the, the barracks, which I want to go into about the barracks that we use. Yeah, please do. Very important. Um, and you know, then we get them on the field. When we, the first time they get to have all these horses, about a hundred horses charging towards them, and um, they loved it. Yeah, but we also got to remember that there's just safety distances as well. We've got horses coming towards, but we also had to ensure that when these guys fired, they weren't firing directly at the horses. So the horses couldn't go directly in there. But then we'd have stunts placed in certain positions. Mm. So that when you do have a horse coming through, um, or you've got that, like st- yeah, there's one where a horse goes like flying over, which is yeah, one of, yeah. It's one of the really you know, trademarks that he likes. Mm. Um you know, you've got stunts position. So you have to make sure stunts are positioned in the right place. If we've got some some dirt hits coming out to, to represent a cannonball going through the ranks, you know, you have to have stunts there. Guys are on jerk rigs. Um, and there's all these different elements that you've got to put in there that people don't actually realise. 
Um, we got we had a cannon that gets hit. The cannon goes flying over. We had stunts around that, and the, the cannon is on pulleys. So again, you've got this cannon that goes flying in the air and skidding mm. towards the camera. Um, so all these elements, there's so many different working parts. Yeah. Um, and I think which, the square bits for me were some of the best, like technically and filming. Like, you know, you've got lads coming in and you know the, the line infantry setting about the the the, the cavalryman when he falls. Like, that's all very visceral and very good, very well done. It, it and the the uh, oh the shot as an aerial shot of the the cavalry going round the square. Yeah, like that is just a fabulous shot. Really nice. Yeah, I mean that was that was my that was my that was my sleepless nights to get that to get it mm. done get it done first time they did it first time and Riddy's on the you know he's like oh marvelous buy these man a pint God bless them and he was so happy and and then I was getting told that he's so happy with that and yes. I'm like right well I'm so happy because now I can have a sleep <laughs> uh, because it's it's a maneuver that could that could easily have you know screwed up. Mm. so easily it, it would have taken one guy to mess it up mm. um, I've, and i've seen like reenactors do this stuff and sometimes they're not perfect they mm. and they do it as a hobby and they do it time and time again and i've got we're, all, we're all human at the end of the day human. We? sometimes we're, we're we're too busy looking at everything that's going on and i've got these guys reacting to orders i had former serving um ncos that were in certain positions so they were able to help guide the men i had you know, former NCOs who were sergeants, and they were able to guide the men as sergeants would have done at the time. Um, NCOs on the flanks, uh, junior NCOs on the flanks, so they're helping the lines going in and everyone communicating. And you know, I've got some good close-up footage that I eventually I will be able to, once it's had its good run, I'll be able to put out because you'll see the workings of it inside, you know. And it is it is good. I had light infantry coming out. And firing some harassing rounds and then coming back in mm-hmm. and painted out. Oh. <laughs> so you mentioned um you mentioned those barracks there. Um I know that was something you wanted to talk about. So I think was you you were training in Napoleon on a yeah, barracks? So Calvary Barracks in Hounslow. Um it, it was a former barrack. It was the last regiment was the right the see the Irish guards that used it. And um the barracks, the the prey ground, um was actually set up, I believe, in um, 1793, and this was in in um, this was because of the French Revolution, and the, mm-hmm. the British government decided, right, hang on, we need to have a garrison close because if people start getting forts above their station, we need to have backup quickly. So they they erected this barracks, um, and it you know it started off as a camp on land, and then it started to grow. And the prey ground is, from what I've been told, um, is the actual prey ground which they they started using. It's, it's first of all it was grass, and then it just built up over then. Mm. Uh, so the men that were trained for the Battle of Waterloo was trained on this prey ground. Uh, now it's the MOD had sold sold it and to to a private company. It's now being redeveloped into plush flats. And so I, I explained to the men that the history of this barracks, and I said, this parade ground trained men who went to the Battle of Waterloo. You are training primarily for the Battle of Waterloo, and you will be the last large body of men who will try, who will march on this square and pass out, because I have a pass-out parade, okay. um, yeah. on the Battle of Waterloo. 
and you had some of the extras had a tear in their eye. They're like, oh my God. You know, That's it's a great, it's a lovely detail. It's a really nice little thing to have. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. And, it, and it, mm. it hit home with them as well. They to understand that, you know, this is sort of, you know, this is your part of history here, mm. um, regardless of what the history is being told um, with what you're, in, you know, you're involved with. Um, you are part of this history, yeah, uh, and that sort of resonated with them, and they and they sort of understood the you know what they what they was involved with. Yeah, oh, it's great. I love that. It's a lovely detail. Um, it's so nice that you could use that space before it's turned into the flats. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess I guess well, and the next question it might be more difficult to answer, um, but we know certain controversies have come out after the filming, and you've got yeah. a lot of academics online a lot of historians coming out and 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 one of a better word bashing certain elements of the movie Um, but there's one thing that we talked about before we started the interview so there's a scene where wellington uh uh, and and a uh, a green jacket has a scoped baker rifle um and that's i think that's that's got niggled quite a lot of people shall we say um yes yes i mean it niggled lots of people and yes right and it can niggled me in there's quite a few extras who who were you know that you know ex-green jackets and it's like you know now it's we had conversations and a few notes and it's like look you know the baker rifle there was no, there was no scope. The, the, the record, the first recorded scope was around about what was it, eighteen fifty three, I think. Something but, late, late eighteen hundreds, yeah, surely. Yeah, yeah. It's about eighteen. I think it's about eighteen fifty three, and that was the first recorded, note recorded. Um, mm. And I was like, you know, is you know, there was there was a there was dialogue that happened in respect to, I could fight, but it was more from artillery. An artillery piece, and obviously Wellington said, "No, that's not what we do." Mm. Uh, but you know, I think what it is is that really wanted that visual, that visual thing, regardless okay. of it being wrong. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, we mentioned it. The armor mentioned it. Um, I believe Louise even mentioned it. Um, but the, it is what it is. End of the day. And sometimes when you're, you know, and, and I, I call it my my Hank and Charlie moment. That okay. I had. So. Me, myself, and Irene, when he's at the cash register and the woman bumps in in front of him and all of a sudden a kid with a trolley and all of a sudden he changes, comes oh, and goes, yes. I have that sometimes. And then I have to quickly change back to Charlie again. Because you have to grit and you know mm. you're like, I am going to get bashed for this. Slated for that, yeah. It, and I guess it, it harkens back to what you said earlier where, you know, you, you can't, if you keep, saying about it then it, it can stall the production it can you know bad blood can ensue it's it, it, it just creates it just like you know and it's just one of those things where you you've got to suck it up and you know it's wrong and then so what i do is i, I sort of tell myself and I, I go back to my time in the army and I'll, I'll give an example soldiers do experiment soldiers through the years have experimented they've and i'm, I'm like okay and this is my like my comfort, my comfort thing, my like to try and tell myself saying that, look, you know, who's to say a soldier plundered a, a telescope off an officer and he's thought, let's see what happens if I was to take this to my rifle. Let's wonder if this would make me a better shot. Yeah. Now, we call it head head cannoning on the show. You head cannon it, don't you? So it's yeah. like this. Let's try this. I never, you, know, you never know. Now we know that never happened at Waterloo. We know yeah. that 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 never happened. But 
the scope on a, on a, on a Baker rifle, there was no one to say that some soldier wanted to be Ali, he wanted to stand out, and he thought, oh, let's take this with a bit of tape, let's see what happens. Now, I can give incidences like when I was in Kosovo, we didn't have Picatinny rails on our weapons, and we wanted laser pointers. And the mm. reason for it was there was a lot of looting going on, and all we wanted to do is pay, put a laser pointer on and that scare him off a bit. We had no Picatinny, there was no, we weren't issued lasers. We weren't, So we, we bought lasers. We went and bought some lasers out of a shop. We got some lolly sticks. We tried to bore sight it to the weapon, and then it's black insulation tape. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something that we've tested out. Um, mm. There was an incident where we were doing a tailor op on, in a, on Manchester Airport for a load of politicians, and they wanted to see um, us bomb bursting out of the back of a Herc in four top, in four um, in Land Rovers, one ten Land Rovers, with Milan on the top. Okay. We didn't have pinball mounts then, not like you do now. There was no crew serve weapons, so we got three air bottle boxes. The air bottles are the. I don't know if you know anything about anti tank weapons. A little bit, yeah. So you've got the Myra and the Millennium Fred adapter. It has an air bottle, which you fit in there, which calls, calls the, the, um, the, the uh, mechanism. So we got these three air bottle boxes. We stack them on top. We get some strapping, and we're strapping it to all the uh, tension points within that, that web, um, the Land Rover. We then put some cam nets on it, so it disguises the fact that there's three air bottle boxes. We then get the legs of the Milan. <laughs> we then... We then fit those around the air bottle boxes and again tension those to the tension points. We then put some more cam on it just to disguise that. Then you've got the Milan. All of a sudden, you've got a crew serve weapon. It's been completely bastardized. It doesn't really exist. And we come steaming out of a, of a out of a herd that lands, and you've got all these politicians going, Oh, this looks really good. It's it's completely botched up. Mm. It, and you could fire it as well. Um, but it never existed. So, you know, I mean, that's an, a, that's a, an example of yeah. you, know, you, are, you are manipulating your testing kit to see how you can work. And then what happens years down the line, all of a sudden, you've got Picatinny rails, you've got this, you've got that. You know, we're not having to put, uh, we're not having to put tape on, on our webbing to, to tape up all the loose straps because now it all comes with lucky bands on it, you know, all the you mm. know, elastic on it already. So there's so much so. So that's my comfort blanket when I see I things. see, yeah. You know, and it's not, and it isn't as if I think it's been lost in the in the in the melee this week with people having opinions and putting their ten cents. And I think it gets lost that someone has actually bought this to someone and said, "Look, this isn't it." But it's it's movie making at the end of the day, and it is movie making. It's spectacle, and yeah. that's the whole job of it is it's it's putting bums on seats. And I think um, um, it was uh, blah, 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 on 1917. Uh, Sam Mendes, he said it. Was, he said it as well. He said, "Look, I'm not making this movie for World War Two enthusiasts or World War One enthusiasts. I'm making this movie for millions." I and understand the, that. Yeah, yeah, and the same. You know, the most people that are, are going on of it are people who are historians, and rightly so. Of course, yeah. I mean, the, the, what annoyed the thing that annoyed me the most it wasn't the wasn't the sniper rifle really. Um, it was the fact that Hugamon Farm and La Haye Saint wasn't in there, but I guess that's a, that's another question. But he wanted to put it in there. Okay. He was restricted by budget and time constraints. He wanted to put that in there. He wanted to get, get at least one of them in there because the whole point is he was trying to show this uh, this time where you know that you know they was trying to show um, the drama 
of what this battle was. But he was he was just he had he was up against it. Even someone like Ridley Scott is up against it. There's always someone higher up who who is pulling the money chain. Um, yes. So yeah, he wanted to, but he had to film this and then he had to move on to the next. Um, because what happens is as well, you you when you hire land and when you, you it's not a case that you just hire a piece of land um, and then you you've got free reign of it forever. Mm. Um, you've got to be out of that country and into Malta to do the Malta side by a certain point, and you've got to be finished in Malta by a certain point because another production company is coming in to use that that set, uh, and so you are you've got so many constraints against you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that's movie making, and what we try and say on the pod to people: look, you know, it people will have said and people will have wanted to do it, but there is always going to be that extra person above you saying no. We don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have this, that, and the other. So it's this whole, we, we try and obviously I've just mentioned it. We do try and say to the audiences that, and the, and the listeners of the show that it, it's a whole process. And that the fact that these films even get made is a miracle in itself um, with everything going on. So uh, talk about the main man himself. So did you have any time with uh, Joaquin Phoenix training him up or is he? So really the only time, I mean, um, Lloris had more time he was more because it was more the historical content he was because let's face it this is not really it's not i wouldn't call it a major war film no it's, it isn't um it was more to do it was more a a more an in-depth look of the relationship between napoleon mm. and josephine which it's actually always been sold as it's always been advertised as that that it was more it was looking through the microscope of these two characters and their relationship and how that affected them. And it that, and it's always has been sold like that, despite the fact that the trailers made it look like there was loads of war and it was just, yeah. Mm. Uh, and so with Joaquin, I mean, the first time I met him, I was I was taking guys through um, cannon drills. Uh, and then Joaquin came up and we had a chat. I remember the first thing he says, oh, I thought we could, thought they would have found someone more manly. And uh, I just <laughs> sort of looked at him and went, all oh, right, uh, great start. Um, I that seems say very walking. That seems very on brand for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's quite funny. He's a funny guy. You know, he's he's not the serious person you that everyone thinks he is. I mean, he's 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 very pleasant and very funny. Mm. And uh, so yeah, so I took him through everything um, about the cannon. I talked I talked about the different roles that the people have around the around the gun. Um, and I explained what those roles are and why they have these roles. I explained how. Um, what the types of ammunition that was used. So, you know, you've got grape shot, you've got double loads. And, you know, sometimes there, there was incidents where they would have a, um, they would have a uh, round shot and grape shot, you know, just, you know, so you've got round shot going through and then you've got a shotgun effect. Mm. Uh, so you can, you can smash into the columns and, and hit the skirmishers. Uh, I explained, I explained about grazing. Um, so I explained all the different methods and what was used and, and the elevation um, and the, the, the orders that were given and the elevation and distances. And so, so he could understand. So when he could give the orders, he could give the elevation. So there was a, you know, just a few things that he could. But essentially, that was really my that was my time with Wacky. Your limit with him, yeah. Yeah, my limit because it, it was mainly, you know, Joaquin doing what he wanted to do. Um, 
other than that, you know, every now and again, I think it was at Greenwich, I think we spoke and, you know, oh, what, what, how, what, what order should I be giving and, and all these sort of things um, for mm-hmm. the Greenwich scenes, um, which is when he, he did, he, he, you know, gives them a whiff of grape shot and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the, the, that's a part of the film I really did think was quite well done where you've got the, the royalists coming to assault the palace yeah. and, and they give them the grape shot. I mean, I thought that was yeah. so and visceral and brutal. Like yeah. it really... I mean, I was really happy with the gun teams because they were constantly, you know, and I said, you've got to work and fight to get these guns and keep them in action. And, you know, and, and I was doing drills where I'd be tapping the guy on the shoulder, he would fall down and someone else has got to take the job on. And then yeah. by the time I've got it, I've got two guys that are trying to keep this cannon going. And you know, so I, I, you know, I got the guys highly trained on cannon drills because um, mm. I knew something that, they were gonna, you're gonna see a lot of cannons, and I, I wanted to make sure we, we got that. But there was also a safety element around those as well. So you had to have a stunt guy and an FX guy on the, the business end, which is basically where you're, you're touching the fuse. You know, they got the port fire and, and the ventsman. Um, and I needed to make you had to because these guns had a bit of a kick on them, of course. And they've also got effects inside, and they've got a they had a, a piston inside, um, which is dangerous, mm. and you. And safety again is paramount. And you've got these guys fairly close to these things. And when they do recall, you've got to make sure you before this goes, you've got to get steps on each side because otherwise you're going to get hit by the wheels or you're going to get hit by something. And it's not going to be nice. Luckily, no injuries. So we've talked a lot about you training the crews. So how is that? Is that's got to be quite daunting, training extras. Yeah. So you, you know, I mean, you get the um, what you do is we put out a um um a casting advert. And I have to I have to be fairly strict on the type of people that we that we take on. Now, I I want the people to be physically fit, which is important. They need to be physically fit, um, and they need to fit the right historic body type at that time. Um, yeah, and I, I don't want to be insulting to people, but yeah, I mean, a lot of guys, reenactors, have said, "Oh, what well, we could have used, we could have, you know, got the reenactors." And, and no disrespect, re- reenactors have a part in keeping this history alive, of course. But a lot of reenactors are over, you know, they're old. There are some that are overweight, um, and sometimes they don't do themselves any favors on film sets. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, and. It's, it's, you know, I've used reenactors before. I've tried to use reenactors before, and there's a lot of people in departments that just won't tolerate it, uh, especially the costume departments, and because they 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 start trying to do their own thing, and you know, there's there's departments they got jobs for a reason. Um, but there's also the fitness element, and I got to make sure that everyone is physically and mentally robust, and it's very important that you know I always ask: Has anyone got any health issues? Has, has anyone got any? historic problems with heart lungs anyone got any um history of dislocated hips and or you know shoulder joints because you've got to protect those but you also got to protect the the, you know, the the production as well and then I, I i run them through a series of physical tests and i remember i got a backlash for that because there was a lot of people saying oh they never did any physical fitness in the napoleonic era you know the soldiers never did that and i'm like no it was a different era we didn't have mobile phones and we didn't have cars yeah. and people walked and people worked on the farms it was manual labor and people were naturally fit um and so i got to make sure guys are lean and they are fit 
Um, and they are also capable of taking commands quickly and running with them because I've, I've got to train these guys in a very short period of time. Um, and so, I mean, I went through, I think we had about, it was, it was about 2,000 people that applied. Wow. Um, and then I, out of that 2,000, I got the best 500. Yeah. It was a UK element. I then had 100 stunts on top of that to train. Uh, and then we had to train in, in uh, you know, artillery and we trained in infantry. And I had to start from the most basic. But on top of that, we also had to do COVID tests every day. So you can imagine 500 people going through COVID tests, then waiting for the results to come through. Everyone's having to mask up. Everyone's having to keep socially distanced. I'm having to train. But ultimately, I've got to get guys close together because that's how the formations work. So I've got that on there. I've got COVID marshals going around. Oh, he's got, he's got to be a part. Oh, he's not wearing his mask. So I have all that going on as well. You then have to... A, you know, have to... a nightmare training men who are meant to be line infantry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, and I'm having to get them, you know, and then we've got the the, uh, the musket firing. We've got to test test everyone to make sure they're safe with muskets. We've got to tell everyone, you do not get swords out, right? You've got this stuff, but you don't get it out. You don't get bayonets out unless you're told to do so. Then you've got to use rubber bayonets. You then got, because the health and safety will not have, let you have real bayonets. And obviously, you know, rubber bayonets start doing this. And mm-hmm. you've got to be, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's all these different elements. But you're training guys from never having touched a weapon, never having marched, and then you're getting them from there in a very short period of time, and it's using, and this is where my myself as a military advisor, right, not historical advisor, but a yeah, no. military advisor, yeah. is being able to train large bodies of men in a very short period of time using my, my knowledge as a man that's trained people before. And that's trained and knows how to train large bodies and know how to, not only to train but to manage them as well. You have to manage them, and you've got to manage their welfare issues. You've got to be able to, you know, um, keep an eye to make sure that you know, even bullying. I had to deal with bullying, you know, um, it, inclusivity. You know, if someone was being. Mm. You, know, you have to deal with all those little issues as well. Um, so you've got you're literally running a barracks. It's like you're running a barracks. I had the COs. I had the COs. Yeah, like you're, you're commanding your own little army, aren't and you? And I've got you my know. guys as well, and I've got them into into companies, and then the companies are then split up, um, and then we've got them even passing up the square. So they're calling out the time. We've got them calling out the time so they can remember the timing in their head. And eventually, if they pass off the square, they don't have to call out the time anymore. And then we start moving on to more advanced stuff. And then out of the five hundred, I then got to pick my my best 300, the guys that are going to be front of camera, uh, the guys that, are, that have really worked hard and are proficient. Um, Do they become featured extras then, I guess? They become featured. And there's a lot of extras, yeah. some really good features, even one with the Baker rifle, but when they say no more well, about yeah, that. Well, yeah, well. He obviously <laughs> found that scope somewhere and he slipped it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that section. And then you, you're you doing the square and you're, and you're, you're, you're repetition training, repetition training, repetition training until they've got it. And it's long hours. It was cold. So, you know, this was January, February when we was doing all this. I was doing the assessments in um, December. I then caught COVID. No, I'm actually doing the assessments from 100 metres away with a megaphone, having to train the new guy to be able to take over from me. And then I was running the assessments from my shed through, like, you know, looking at the internet and going, yeah, okay, he's good. Yeah, he's like, and all that, and all that sort of stuff. Wow. And then obviously we do those battles and we and we and we're constantly training and Ryan room advising through through the film process, 
making sure guys are warmed up and they're ready to do what they need to do. You know, and again, like I say, we go on the field and then I'm making sure guys are in there because the whole point is what the military advisor's job to do is to try and prepare these guys so that when they get on set, when they're asked to do something, whether that manoeuvre is just forming line, whether it's to get in column or whether it's to get into a square, that they can do it like that and they can just have one rehearsal and then they can smash it. Because if you don't do that and they all come in and not completely prepared, they won't be able to do it. It'd be impossible, completely yeah. impossible. Once you've done the UK phase, I then got to go to Malta and do it all again. And then I had 300 Maltese and then a, um, 100 Maltese stunts. So in total, it was 1,000 men trained. Wow. Mm. With all the COVID precautions, with all the other precautions in there. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's no easy feat. So when people... They're on social media and going, oh, a minute. Yeah, my job, that's my job there. Sure. These yeah. people to make sure yeah. that they're at least doing something that looks reasonably like a professional army. Yeah. It's a mixture of like practicality and authenticity. It's finding that medium. Yeah. 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 And you get some people, oh, why are they doing this? This, this is not, they wouldn't have done this as per the Dundas manual. And you're like, yeah, I mean, no, but you're going to see a very quick snapshot and then it's going to move on to something else. And I haven't got the time to go through every drill movement, which I know is never of going course. to be used. Um, yeah. And if you start mixing French, too much French with British, you're going to confuse the minds. And then you're going to have half doing that and half doing this on, on the order. So you have to be more generic mm. within that period of, of drill. Yeah. Uh, so again, you have, a medium. you've got to find a medium and you've got to think out of the box and be practical and accept that not everything is going to be 100% accurate, but you tried your best to get things as close to reality as you can. So before we begin, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you became a historian, and also how you began to be working in film? Okay, so um, I am... Um, I've started working with Ridley in 2019, but beforehand I used to be a curator in a castle in Burgundy, and uh, so that's my uh, background. I'll get I'll get a bit more into that story later, uh, okay. but uh, academically, I have done a master's degree in. I've studied my studies on 18th century. French Revolution in Lyon. Then, well, uh, before that, my bachelor was in political science. Then I done my master's degree in uh, one in uh, political science, which I dropped in order to go more into history. I studied so a late eighteenth century Lyon French Revolution uh, and what happened there, and then I dropped that. I um I dropped that subject, but I kept my um I kept studying uh, history, and I I ended up studying medieval history, right. and I've done I've done seven year uh, thesis, so it's a very thick document in France. It's it's a bit thicker than what is done in the US. I'm not sure really how thick theses are in England, but it's um it's 500 pages long so it took me seven years to do it and when I worked with Ridley I was still a PhD student in medieval history and uh, so now I finished that and I'm a doctor in medieval uh, history and literature 
So how um, have I been working with Ridley? I've been working with Ridley since 2019. So Ridley was doing recognition tours all around France, all around Burgundy with his team. And uh, I was in one of the castle, they recognized, they went for one of those reckeys, as they say. And yeah, yeah. Um, and um, sometimes I'm, I'm not English, so uh, sorry, I just, if if you don't understand me, make sure you tell me. Because sometimes no, uh, it pays fine me. so far. Yeah, okay. don't worry. Apparently, I've got a weird accent. Uh, I don't know what, <laughs> what what happened there. Anyway, um, so what I'm saying is that I um, so I uh, so one day in the castle, um, we got, receive an email, and it's Arthur Max, production designer on the Last Duel. Um, everything is kept secret. Everything we don't really know who the guy is. We don't we don't have the name first. They come on a recognition tour and we realize it's a big thing in the castle I used to work on in, sorry. And uh, after the second recognition tour, we have a sort of little discussion about medieval liturgy. So a, a liturgy, so how mass happens. And he's like, Oh, do you want to work for us? I say, Okay, sure. <laughs> And so I was a documentalist at first uh, in 2019, 2020. And then when the movie starts uh, filming, they call me up and they say, do you want to be a sort of historical military advisor? And have you got skills to speak to a lot of people? I say, yeah, I'm, uh, I've studied my, my work as a tour guide with kids. So if you can manage 100 kids at a time, I guess you could do on a set. So I was so excited. So the next day, I went from Burgundy to southwest of France, where the movie was shot, and I had a meeting, another meeting with Ridley, which we met a couple of times. I, I which, but he, he, he really wanted to go to dive in deep in the script of the Last Duel, and he asked me so many questions, military questions, um, liturgical questions. Um, how an homage happens, how praying, how a wedding happened in the 14th century. I give him anecdotes, options. I've got a method that seemed to have worked really well. He explained to me what's, what's going to be my role. It was a three and a half hour meeting. So it was very long, very tiring for me. As you can tell, English is not, is not my main language. And the producers, Ridley, everyone was fusing with questions so it was a very very tiring exercise uh, but uh very you have to be very quick and sharp in your answers you don't have time sometimes scholars like me we like to have long answers <laughs> to small questions um and that's not what the aim that's not at all what the aim is so it's um um it went very well on the last year we had a great relationship he asked me questions about music which i gave him and uh, it was then sent to the composer and he really liked what i could advise on the 14th century music and we were discussing a lot about so many other things anecdotes viking history we had really time to to speak outside work then i um after the movie, I went to his place in the south of France. So I got invited 
um, to to we we got to speak, and I went to his place. Well, to one of his houses it was not his private private house, um, but we got talking, and he on the last one of the very last day of the shoot when we were in Ireland. So he was doing COVID time, very complex time film. And uh, he talked to me about Napoleon. He's like, how good are you on Napoleon history? I say, well, I'm not too bad. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> yeah, I like your method. And um, I'm going to do the movie on yada, yada, yada. And so Napoleon Josephine. And he says, you, you will be the historical advisor. Um, you might be, he said. Uh, but you will focus on that, on the last duel. Uh, in you, so I was working on the props, on the costumes, uh, a little bit. I was helping out. Yeah, so um, yeah, you just advise. You know, you don't make the thing. You just yeah, advise. You're here to mm -hmm. help. Um, so, you know, but you've got all those people in departments doing incredible job and research. You're just here to help them out. Um, so you're a man of the shadow. And um, so he told me I was going to do Napoleon. And that I was going to focus on that to help him and to help the actors. How did you feel about that when, when he suggested that his next movie was going to be on someone as historically huge as Napoleon? What did you think about that? Well, he did a movie in between, which was Gucci. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, and then he did that. Um, I was... Um, well, I was like, okay, let's get to work. So I had, so to me, as a Frenchman, I knew that I would have be. Um, and he says because you're a Frenchie, he calls me the frog. Like we we get, it's, it's funny. Yeah, you know? he's got a weird sense of humor. I really like, but he's got a good sense of humor. Anyway, and um, so he, so I got to me personally. How did I feel? I was like, okay, let's get to work. Because it's not my time period. It's not the, as much as I, um, the 14th century is not my time period. Uh, in my my thesis is based on late 12th, early 13th century. Yes, it's close from the 14th century, but it's still you you still got huge differences after mm -hmm. the 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 Great Plague um, of uh, uh, the the mid uh, 14th century. So there's a an evolution of civilization in late middle ages which is not what i studied so there was already a huge difference and i had to work here it's another world and so i had a year prep so i did around six hours of work a day just based on that you're not paid for it <laughs> you're only paid when you get the final call so um the and so it was very huge work I had to learn books by heart. There are a few books that I knew by heart and I still know very well on um, personal Napoleonic behavior. If you ask me something about how Napoleon would do certain things, or his taste, uh, states, sorry, hard to pronounce, uh, I, 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 could, uh, I could give you an answer. And before, um, so in January 2022, Ridley calls me and he's like, I need help. I need, I want to know more on Napoleonic music. What do you think? And he knew that I was really into old, weird style of music. And he's like, I want something a bit oriental or a bit. And so I said to him, you need to go Corsican. 
and I gave that him makes sense, co- yeah. yeah I said and he he knew it he knew Corsican music but he didn't know that specific Corsican music which I sent him which is a, a very very talented man in French uh, musicologue so a specialist in music and he's of, of course a very very good singer and he's the one that does the music in the movie he was employed after that uh, he went with his team to London uh, to register the the music you hear at Austerlitz, and it's it's beautiful. It makes it makes the whole the whole movie. I'm very happy about all the music I could have advised um, in the Napoleon. Again, Martin Phillips, the composer, did an incredible job on that. I'm very happy about that. Anyway, and so um, t- uh, two weeks before the shoot. Production calls me. They say, well, Loris, you're French. I said, yes. They say, you live in Paris, right? I said, no, I live in Burgundy. Uh, they say, well, but uh, Vanessa is coming to Paris. Uh, you've got uh, two days with her if you want, and uh, she will visit places in Paris, um, and you will arrange to make them empty. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I, a big job. Yeah, that's uh, that was crazy. So I I called my whole a whole lot of people that I knew, and through networks and things like that, I managed to get uh, two days with her. Um, it was it was incredible. Uh, how they worked. I already worked with Matt Dayan with uh, on the last duel with Ben Affleck with uh, Adam Driver, mm-hmm. Julie Comer. They were really impressive too. Um, but I, I really had that time with her and to see her dive into her role she had time we went to the Malmaison where Napoleon had his private house and she really wanted to reflect uh, on, on near to hear the the floor crack to hear the ticking of the bells everything stayed it's a shrine that place if people that really want to visit something great near Paris they have to go and see that it's pretty good. And she really wanted also to see a tomb. So we went there and it's not too far. And then I received another call from the production. They say, well, Joaquin coming is coming and he wants to do the same. So we did the same thing. I did, uh, and I went in the army museum and in the army museum with him and also in the Malmaison, but we spent in the army museum um, three hours and 15 minutes of me constantly talking about everything. He went so fast in the museum, like it was walking up and down and things. And I was like, well, this is uh, Egyptian campaign. This is uh, a saddle for um, uh, a camel, a camel saddle uh, that was used at that time. It was like, okay, this, and I was explaining anecdotes about this, about here and there and he didn't speak much and then when he came when we were on set he remembered everything we had a meeting on the first day on offset and he remembered everything so it was so good for me because he created a great link and the producers did really well. And so with the actors, we worked very often for them to get more involved in their role, more involved in, uh, in their character. And mm. to it's a very difficult to grasp the complexity of someone like Napoleon, who's oh, had multiple yeah. masks, like a theatre. So, and I believe it, it did really well. So 
first question from one of our Patreon supporters, Andy Moody. He asks, um, when you work with a director like Ridley Scott, how much influence can you have on his filmmaking in <clears> terms <throat> of suggestion and injecting those nuances that you know you mentioned there about Napoleon's you know actual character? Well, um, first, because Ridley Scott's yes. you know renowned for being very driven and, and very focused when he's directing a film, and he has a clear view of what he wants to 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 create. So, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, but sometimes he, you have have a technique check and chair. It's five points. You have if I go to see him, mm-hmm. I have to be very quick. I've got half a minute maximum. I've got to tell a story, an anecdote. I've got this anecdote has to be visual. It has to be um, never seen in a movie before. And so visual, and it has to be historical and uh, sourced. So, and sometimes I bring, so with me, I have images. Ridley is a very visual person. He works like a painter, you know, like I'm not the one painting. He's the one holding the pen, but and the photography, the sets, all those guys are preparing the paint and me, I'm doing the pigments. But sometimes I could bring a little bit of paint and he will take it. If I do those five points very well, he will take it. For example, I know people, it's, it's clearer with the example. When we shoot, Napoleon becomes a general. We are after Toulon in our story, and Napoleon becomes a general. It's written that in the scripts. There's not much detail. And historically, we don't have many sources on how um, how this ceremony would have happened. Yeah. So, so Ridley is like, okay, how do we do it? But we've got the sun, the, the, the scene. Have you seen the movie? I have, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, so the, the scene, the, the beauty of it is uh, there's that beautiful sunset. In, we are in Malta and the sun is going down very quickly. <laughs> and um, we've got all those extras. Everything is ready. Um, Tahraim, the actor, the French actor, has got his lines. We, we had a little chit chat about uh, a discussion about his lines. And Joaquin, we had a discussion about how Napoleon would react with Barras, because in reality, Napoleon betrayed Barras, as we can see in the movie. And Ridley's like, how do we do it? And I say, well, here are three pictures of how ceremonies that would have happened at that time, not really military-based, like the Federation uh, festival, La Fête de la Fédération. So, uh, so I, sh- I have it with me, the visuals printed out. And he's like, okay, let's do this. So I say, all the extras are in circle. Then Ridley's like, okay, we do double circle. So there are two circles. And I say, Barras is going to be pointing out his saber towards Napoleon's heart. And it's as in an initiation rite as if you're under the threat, but and it, it would, those sort of spiritual weird ceremonies would have happened in that post-revolutionary, uh, post-revolutionary times. So it's, and Napoleon becomes general by Barras. 
which Barras was not there historically, but it's okay, we create the characters, so that's why he's there. And Napoleon and Joaquin improvise and asserts dominance right after that and leaves, and everyone's like, long live the general. So this scene is very visual, inspired a very with a very long distance with historical sources. We don't know how exactly it happened, but that's here how I could manage to help one, you have to think of the script. And me, my position is um, is a sort of a pillar of history. So you're here, you you can't tremble. You have to keep, you have to maintain. And uh, sometimes history, sometimes to say, well, uh, you could do that and it would be more accurate or you could do that. But if you go bluntly and say no, it's pointless because you can't really stop the machine and say, well, really, uh, the Egyptian campaign didn't happen like that. So Napoleon never shoot the pyramids. Yeah, he knows that. Yeah. Napoleon, mm. no, sorry, uh, really completely knows. Everyone on set knew that Napoleon never shot the pyramids. But if you want to explain that the Turks that we see on camera are allied with the British, and the French uh, allied with the local Egyptians who were under uh, the attack of the Turks. And it's a sort of cold war in Egypt, um, if I make it clear. This conversation is a whole scene. And so it's the show don't tell. So, it, yeah. and it, it makes a very, um, it accentuates the fact that Napoleon is an artillery man. He just shoots, boom, makes big boom. The guy on his horse back falls, dies, end of the story. Um, so it's the kind of thing that the historical advisor has to accept for the sake of the story. So yeah. there's the, the history and you've got to understand that there is a story and you've got to accept and sometimes help out with tiny things here and there. And sometimes I got very lucky on this uh, because I'm working with Joaquin. Joaquin really wanted his character to be understood, not as a tyrant, but as a man of the people. And so all those scenes have been added. We work together and he's an incredible writer. I gave him proposition and then he did things. And sometimes um, uh, scenes were added uh, with um, more accurate or more accurate influenced scenes mm. like that. So, and really listens definitely listens so um, yes he's very busy on set but he loves history so much they will always listen to me <laughs> on something like that but you can't also bug him did you did you uh advise on sort of the characterization that joaquin uses you know so there's those moments early on in the film especially where the, the cans are firing and he, and he covers his ears is that something that you based on um something you read or something from your research or was no, that something some, that Joaquin worked up? Uh, that's something um, when when we're in Paris, I explained to him all the physical details of Napoleon. We've got, for example, when you when Napoleon was stress dictating, his left um, leg would tremble slightly. His left calf muscle would tremble. It was like, ah, no. so he didn't like those. Uh, and it's true, it's not my role to direct him physically. Mm -hmm. He likes to be able to move and not to be in prison in a, in a, a that's how I understood him. Uh, but what he really liked is all the accessories. For example, um, there is another character in this movie, it's Napoleon's hat. 
Yes, of course. Yeah. And, and I, I thought uh, the, the, the costuming was amazing. Oh, it's, it's very, it's a, and I love the recreations of all the various uniforms, you know, from the revolutionary period through to the consulate through to, you know, his mm. later sort I've, of, um, I really hope uh, Jan T and David get um, rewarded for this incredible work and, and the coronation. When, when you wear, if you, if you, if you like costumes and things like that, if you wear coronation was, emo- uh, it was emotional. It was uh, definitely, I can't, I'm not saying that for, I don't know, drama. It was emotional. A lot of people, a few people cried, like the costume. Like it was, it, I've got to say, I had goosebumps. Do you say goosebumps? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I that definitely. is a very, it feels very much like you mentioned earlier that Ridley, you know, he works from paintings and he's very visually driven. It feels very much like the famous paintings of, of uh, Napoleon taking the oh, crown and placing it so, on his own head. And it's so the yeah, whole visual cues right there, isn't it? Definitely. Co- Coronation is my, is a scene where I was um I was busy. It was my scene. <laughs> so it's, it's not my scene, of course, but it's, it's a scene where I was very involved for what anything to do with Latin, anything to do with that, I'm, I'm, I'm here. So um, I was here also to, to place people and I had a massive print of the Sacre de Napoleon, so the coronation uh, from David. Uh, so, it, by the way, it's the only painting we know of that Napoleon liked. Really? Yeah, when Napoleon was in front of it, he was impressed by his grandeur. He was saying the his, his grandeur, his greatness, like yeah. in the sense of yeah. the size and the uh, grand it was. He was like, it's not a painting, we can walk in this, because <laughs> uh, it's so huge. And uh, otherwise, Napoleon was um, not very impressed by paintings. He was not really moved by it, uh, something. He, he liked music more. Um, he had strange taste. Uh, and so did Josephine in paintings. Uh, where I was going with this is, for example, a scene like that for coronation. Uh, me, So I'm here. My role is to help people be placed. And here, what's where I was going with this is the fact that, you know, some people are complaining about how inaccurate, for example, um, a movie could be. But for example, the painting here, the painting is inaccurate. Where When you see the painting, it's not how the coronation happened. You've got Napoleon's mother that is there. She was not there at coronation. The layout of people is not accurate. All the paintings of most of the paintings of Napoleon, his face is not his real face. It corresponds, the Ingres, so the, the famous coronation when you see Napoleon standing up, it corresponds to the golden number, his face. So it's not accurate. So you oh, see, I see. Right. We, can't, we can't really compare, we can't really, we have to understand that uh, an art piece will not be accurate, but it tells a story. And Just what Yes, that's right. That's where I was going with this. There's been 107 Napoleon movies. And there's been a thousand people played who play Napoleon. So when I am with Joaquin and we discuss who Napoleon was and we dive very deep into Napoleon's psyche, very deep um, into Napoleon's relationship with his mother, his mother looked like Josephine. If you go to the Malmaison, there's a room where Napoleon wrote his Code Civil, so the famous law code that he wrote. 
and you've got in that room two paintings and you've got a table in the middle. It was he, so he worked from home a lot. And the two paintings look symmetrical. But there's one of Josephine, one of Letizia Bonaparte, his mother. They look exactly the same. So he's got a sort of um the relationship that he had uh, with Josephine is very, very impressive, very interesting. The the letters that Napoleon uh, that Ridley, so he often make mistake. Uh, I, I, I often say Ridley for Napoleon and the opposite. Um, on set is often called the general uh, Ridley. <laughs> so oh, well, that makes quite, sense. Yeah, yeah, it could be quite confusing, and. Um, so Napoleon uh, had that, um, yes, he was the master of, ta- of tactics. Yes, he was the god of war, uh, but uh, he was a very, uh, very complex character and he created his own propaganda to his men, to the people, to his family, um, their relationships and fights uh, that they had in public with Josephine were like staged. People believed they were staged. Just like it is in the movie when uh, it's completely wacky and improvising. When he's, uh, uh, I think, when he says, uh, "Destiny has brought me these lamb chops." I like my meals. Yeah, I like my meals. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's fu- it's funny, and but it's actually very accurate because Napoleon staged, so people didn't really know, and there was some. If you read the origin sources, the primary sources. Napoleon, for example, would try to seduce Josephine, but there was Hortense, so Josephine's daughter from the first marriage, who was in between. So she was sitting down and he was trying to say, we understand from the the memoirs of Hortense some sexually related uh, stuff to her mother. So, and she's in between. So how awkward would that be? Yes, mm-hmm. it's a man of his time, but there's a bit of awkwardness that um, Joaquin really liked to play with. And so, and uh, Napoleon was very sensitive with his skin, for example. There are things like that uh, we know from the sources. Napoleon is the most recorded man ever. Um, so if you read interviews, so we worked with Ridley to, to prep and I, I was telling Ridley that this one book a week based on Napoleon. So that's 10,400 books uh, just based on him. But everyone around this time around him wrote a book. It was it was a, a hit because everyone, especially in England, especially in England, uh, there was that Napoleonic mania at the yeah, time. The fascination. Yeah. yeah, the fascination. And still now, still True. now, yeah. there's a British man writing. The French, we don't realize. Uh, and they... They are very impressed. They don't really understand why the French are making movies on Napoleon. It's very interesting. I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, another question I have for you is, considering he's one of the most complex characters in, you know, in, in early modern history, possibly, you know, one of the most ever, and, and a very well-known figure as well, as you say, in a two-hour-plus film, and of course, there's going to be the, the four-hour cut that comes later on, one of our patron uh, supporters asked, Ken Campbell asked, was there an event um, that you would really love to have included that didn't quite make it into the film? 
Um, I know, I think we spoke previously about um, the Infernal Machine and the assassination attempt, and I believe that was filmed and that might be in the, the longer cut. I can give you an anecdote. Sure. It, it's possible. Um, well, this you could see in the trailer, the the assassination attempt. Yeah, the, the, I've seen stills and I've seen parts of the trailer, so it's, I, I assume it was uh, filmed. I really liked it. In this, it's mm. very complex. Uh, I was very involved into that to explain because sometimes on set to give the to give the impulse of a scene, they call me up, so I'm right next to them, and uh, well, they call me up, and we've got the few heads of departments, and they're like, "Okay, Loris, what is happening?" And so I have to give, even though everyone's got the script, it's very complex history, and to give a sort of impulse. That's why they need an historical advisor to be very quick. And to be like, okay, so this is happening, uh, royalist revolution, royalist this, uh, the what's going on in Brittany has an influence in Paris, and yada yada yada. And there we go. And so, and then, or I say to Ridley, and Ridley takes his um, radio and gives the whole the whole crew uh, was on his channel. Um, everyone listens to what he's got to say. And. Um, me what i that's why i um i'm very happy about this movie but there's so much to napoleon there's so much about napoleon what is so good is i think what it's it's so difficult to to do um i'm not a movie maker i can't analyze anything movie like but historically what is so important to napoleon's psyche as we're talking about it is napoleon schooling Napoleon was in jail for 10 years, not in St. Helena. In St. Helena, he was in a beautiful house. When he was in Brienne, in his school, that is something that um, shaped his mentality. Why, you know, Napoleon's military bed, it's a bed that is made out of tubes that you can fold and uh, open very quickly. He invented it. So he's a, he's a genius. Napoleon was a, an engineer. He would wake up in the night and do calculations about his staff members and how much sugar they were allowed to put in the coffee and how much savings they would do if they reduced the amount of sugars they would have. And so he, he would wake up in the night to do that. And, and funnily enough, uh, we've got a paper about that and he makes a, a calculation mistake. Um, but he... He was obsessed about things and uh, Napoleon's minimalist mind and the style of furniture empire. Napoleon is, I guess, one of the only historical person who has invented uh, a furniture style, for example, because mm. he, he wanted his desk to be very practical. So it's very minimalist, straight lines, practical, things open. There's no secrets. There's no... There's no fluffing around. There's no, you see, it's very practical. And all that has been influenced by his school in Brienne, where Napoleon was in jail in a two-meter square bedroom, locked from the outside for 10 years. That is so important. And that maybe one day, if there's another picture about Napoleon or the series, um, it's it is the kind of things that could be very interesting to to understand um but i can't um i can't really speak about what's in the the fourth 
uh, our version. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, and, we'll and, all look forward to it in the new year, I guess. So. And the anecdote, the tiny anecdote is um, that it's, I've got a great, 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 great uncle who was the one who designed the bomb who tried to kill Napoleon. Wow, what a link. <laughs> and it was, uh, so his name was Philippe Chevalier and he got caught. Um, well, we don't exactly know if it was him, but he's just uh, at the time of the bombing, uh, he was in Paris and he was um, in his garage and he was trying out bombs. So we, it, when he got caught, the whole setup of bombs were found and um, they blamed him. So it's wow. mo- mostly that like, he, he got killed, his head got chopped off. Um, but it's uh, it's uh, very likely. I, I, uh, I sort of kept the information secret because uh, I was scared people would be superstitious <laughs> on set. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a sort of, uh, it's a, it's so we bear the same last name. It's a sort of family theory. We're not really sure if it's, uh, if mm-hmm. it's true, but it's a, there's, there's definitely there's definitely a guy called like that that got killed for this. Mm. So, from the actual theatrical cut, what is your favorite part of the film? Is there a scene you can pick? Um, aesthetically, mm. um, not historically. Aesthetically, it's definitely Austerlitz and mm. with the music. Because you've got the battle. Yes, we understand. It's beautiful. And you've got that music that really makes it all spiritual. The music they said is, uh, so that's the music I advised, is the Kyrie Eleison. It's a Greek music. They sang at Mass. So at the time of Napoleon, during Mass, there would be the song. Right. Uh, but it's in Greek. In, in the Roman mm. rites, um, in the Roman rite of Catholicism, uh, at one point, we say at the beginning of the Mass, Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison. What does that mean? It means, Lord have mercy. And here you can see a battle, people are dying. And in the movie, it's not really explained why or the politics behind it. But you understand this battle and you've got that more spiritual call with that voice coming out of nowhere that says, Lord have mercy. And so I think it's beautiful uh, and it's very well done uh, from this whole incredible crew I got lucky to work with. Uh, but otherwise, historically, uh, it's a good question. I don't think I am... Um, I um, asked myself the question. Um, historically, sorry, I'm thinking about it. I didn't. Yeah, no, you take your time. Think about it. Just, I'm sorry. Uh, even generally speaking, like... is there a is there a scene from the film that you just you as a as a as a, a cinema goer, a, a human being, really enjoyed? Oh yeah, there's that one. That one. Yeah, Austerlitz. Uh, yeah. Austerlitz. Yeah. Well, what about you? I really enjoyed the the sequence with the squares at Waterloo. I I thought that really captured I, I the frenetic. I didn't. Um, no, really, you didn't. You didn't like that yeah, part. I, yeah, I don't know. No, I don't know. It's um, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people like that part, but um, I, I just I thought I th- what what I thought about that sequence was I thought it captured the the um the freneticness of being inside a, an infantry square being attacked by cavalry. Mm. as a historian myself i can recognize that there's elements of the way that uh ridley 
portrayed the Battle of Waterloo, which are historically inaccurate, the trenches, that sort of thing. Oh, definitely. And there's a lot of elements of the way that, you know, the Prussians are coming from the wrong direction, et cetera. And mm. there's no liaison. There's no, um, no battles around the farms and the, 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 yeah. there's there, may, the different... there may be grouchy in the longer version. Okay. Okay. But well, well I, at least, at least in the in the speeches, uh, we managed with Joaquin to add that element mm. uh, to make more uh, Napoleon more um, not really responsible. Um, and uh, the, uh, yes, he is responsible. And yet, if Grouchy didn't do his mistake, the battle would have been won. Yeah, yeah. If he hadn't gone the other way. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. so, and so it's very interesting. And later on, the other scene is. Um, he says, uh, "Never trust." You know, he's he's talking. Oh, to when kids. he's speaking to what to to Wellington? Yeah. Oh no, the uh, midshipman. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he's talking to kids uh, before Wellington arrives, and we together wrote that scene with real Napoleonic quotes. Everything he says is real Napoleonic quotes. I did like that. I could tell from mm. certain scenes that I, I've read a few books as well, and uh, that have quoted you know his letters, etc. And I could pick out even being not being in a you know in a pulling expert mm. myself i could i could hear little bits that were oh yeah that i recognize that from and, a letter and that, that was not scripted and it's very interesting because yes it is funny on the first um level there's a funniness because he's he get, just gets caught and he's like oh it's not my fault and it's just because of the others they were they were bad and i was really, mm. really good uh, but on the other sense if you know the history well it's not really his fault because there was grouchy it's a mistake that lost the day what do you think about the meeting between him and wellington what 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 was the idea behind i can understand the idea behind that and having the two you know great men meet Mm. Um, and 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 you've got to recognize the beautiful choice of set there have you seen the the flooring is just like well we can't see it but my floor right now it's like a, a chess piece Yes, you know, a yes. chessboard, and you've got those two protagonists just like playing a game of chess. And we are really shooting. This is not a studio. We are in a MHS uh, HMS Victory uh, yeah. sh- shooting in that. It was the very yeah. first movie shot in that room. Wow! Apparently, I didn't know that. yeah. And that's so, and so we are. It was the very first movie ever shot on the boat, and very first sh- movie shot on that boat on that specific scene it, it looks like a, it's so surreal that it looks like studio work uh but it's real and so in any it, it's it's beautiful scene there's um the um, the photograph of the movie is good friend arthur um aiden monaghan and he did a beautiful picture that got released uh with that discussion it's not accurate when napoleon believes he would go to the cotswold that's true um, Napoleon definitely believed that he, he didn't know he would have been sent. Um, it's what I liked about that scene is the fact that you can see, you can hear, you can feel the fear that the English had of Napoleon. You know that you, it's a military podcast, but you know that more cannon were used to protect St. Helena than used on the battle of waterloo oh wow fascinating i did not know that napoleon if you take the proper the proportion of how much um 
Napole uh, ham, uh, how much it cost to militarize this it's an ancient volcano saint helena mm -hmm. and the british they they actually even in places where it would have been impossible for a boat to arrive they actually built uh, little fortifications upon which they put cannons the price of all this military construction all the cannons all the men there makes even now nowadays napoleon according in proportion with how much it was at the time the um, most um, it was the most expensive prisoner of all time the, that, that's what i like with napoleon there's a lot of the most the <laughs> yeah he's that <laughs> so kind of guy isn't he? <laughs> it's a bit extreme and so militarily uh, in that conversation it's a bit nasty but uh, it's true that a, a man of his rank uh, didn't really believe didn't really deserve uh, saint helena uh, but what the british didn't expect is that saint helena created napoleon and that's what you you don't really fully have it in the movie but saint helena this uh, from uh, 1815 to 1821 Napoleon created his own legend really at that time. And people, he was he was the prisoner. The whole world came to see him. It was it was impressive, very impressive. Yes, he was very known before. Yes, the Tsar, for example, the Tsar Alexander learned military by studying Napoleon. Yes, really. that's mentioned in, you mentioned it in the film. So, yeah, we, we yeah. We, we we made it in in the movie. And um, there are things you see like that that I so my work was also, you see, to change things like that. The Treaty of Tilsit, it's um, when they when the Tsar Alexander and Napoleon discussed that's, that's a question I wanted to ask. Yeah. You know, Ridley being Ridley and loving those visuals, how did he resist not filming Tilsit on the actual barge and having it on land, so to speak? Uh, I don't know. I think... Um, just... Yeah, just I think it's money. necessity. I, I guess. I think it might be money wise. I think I mm -hmm. don't know. It's uh, it's above my uh, <laughs> what <laughs> I know, um, but it's true. It, it, but it looks very visual. Like the it's very dark. The conversation and you've got the beautiful. Uh, we are in the gladiator woods. Mm. We're in the gladiator woods when we shoot that. Um, it was the the uh, Oslo scene shot there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the only other thing they shot there from what i recall well with us talking yeah. more about um uh, historical accuracy etc i've got a couple more questions from some of our listeners that kind of revolve around that um of course you know the elephant in the room is some of ridley's comments before the film came out to press about historians not being there etc and and jamie d asks what was it like to work with a director who has such a controversial view of history and historians and did this affect you know, the amount of advice that you provided. Was that something you felt there or do you think it was something that's um, that was said in the moment in that interview? Uh, well, um, obviously that, you can't speak for Ridley himself, but uh, just oh, yeah, general yeah. thoughts. And um, well, I think, I think something that was said in the interview, um, but it's true that um, sometimes when I, when I show up, when I come closer to him when the scene is getting ready and stuff, he's, he often does like, 
pointed his hand like that. He's like, here come the fucking historical advisor, bang. <laughs> but, but it's it's part of humor it's part of a game that um mm. they will play i uh, i don't take it badly because he, he will um he will very often listen um and if he doesn't do it he will use it for something else at uh, the advice um so or it will be or sometimes he will be like well it's shit because it's not visual enough or it's not yeah. really we can't really for example i would give you an example that i gave him i gave an advice and he says well, it's garbage, and uh, and I will explain to you why. And sometimes me, I'm not a movie maker, so I don't know really what's visual, what's not. You understand from certain things, but for example, the whole army is coming, is marching. We really mm. didn't want like them to walk like all uh, shoulder to shoulder. This never happened really. When an army walks at one point, they just, yes, there is a rhythm, very fast rhythm, whether it's the Roman army or Napoleonic army, there is in those organized army a very fast rhythm. But there's not shoulder to shoulder, people just march. And when they're, for example, in Poland, they use, I don't know how you call it in English, you know, the the, the little piece of metal, the strong uh, piece of metal that you use to reload uh, the oh, ramrod. The a ramrod. Yeah, the ramrod. So in if you read um the cahier of the Captain Coignet, so the captain, the Captain Coignet, um, I'm not sure if you have uh, maybe the listeners um can have a look at that. It's a beautiful book. Uh, it's a great book of a captain that went from the first campaign of Italy to Waterloo. He did all of them. Wow. And and he he actually held Napoleon's baby in his hand. He was a very a very uh, just a small soldier uh, from a farm boy who travelled the whole Europe and went through. And he gives you it is the book the book on um, really the insights of the insight of uh, Napoleon uh, soldiers. And he says that when they were in the countryside in occupied land. They would take the ramrod and they would plant it to the ground to check if the locals and the farmers didn't hide things in around certain forests. I said that to Ridley. And he says, well, if we do that, the, the people, the viewers of the movie, they're going to be like, what are they doing? And they're going to look like grandfathers with a stick, you know, <laughs> grandfathers with a walking stick, unless we add another scene where we actually discover something. And he says, well, no, but it's, um, ah, he didn't know. So he was interested, uh, really, really likes when I bring his, uh, things like that. And then he's like, well, it's not interesting for a movie, but it's interesting for the history. So he's, um, he's a really uh, lover of history. He's got, um, he, he, well, with me, I never had an issue with him. I never, I never had uh, any problem with um with conversation and he never neglected or he never said to me where were you there um he never said that to me because um also some historians uh they will not as i said in my five points i give the sources and i say well napoleon's mamluk ali has witnessed that or napoleon's uh, man uh, marchand has witnessed that and so if you give the sources it's very difficult because historians, we like a diesel motor. 
<laughs> we go slowly <laughs> and uh and so um if you give him the sources and uh, he will he will recognize that okay you've worked and you deserve to talk mm-hmm. but sometimes historians were passionate about um napoleon uh for example uh will even forget that napoleon had doubts in france there's a debate about historical accuracy in movies and stuff and they say well it's never recorded that napoleon had doubts in private i'm like <laughs> do we know the human nature or something <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, that's a fair point it's um that that plays off another question i've got from uh, another yeah. listener nick Lowe. hooray and he asks with those historical inaccuracies or changes let's say in in uh, in the film that Ridley's chosen to make as a filmmaker do you as a historian wor- worry that people will now think that everything in the in the film was factual and that that was a true representation of the history um something we always discuss on the show on our podcast is is that balance between filmmaking and historical accuracy okay. and yeah. uh, you know what there's certain factors that balance these things out and make a good film a good film. What do you think about the the potential for people to that aren't clued up on the general history of the period and Napoleon himself to come to this film, watch it and assume, oh, okay, so Napoleon went to Russia, was you know uh, bent out of, uh, out of Moscow, returned home and abdicated. Whereas there's, you know, there's another two years of campaigning in in, in Germany, mm-hmm. Poland, etc. What do you think about that? Well, as I said, with the paintings, paintings as well are inaccurate. Music is inaccurate. Art is not made to be accurate, but to tell something, and it mm. comes from a specific time. And you know, history is inaccurate. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you study history. Why is there 10,400 books about Napoleon and not just one? Because according to the historian or the time period where the book would be written, it would tell a different story and or a different angle, which we never thought of, or a different, you know, um, nowadays with um, more gender studies or things like that or feminist ideas, the, yeah. there are more... Um, for example, studies on Josephine or the other, the, I'm not sure if it's really linked, but there are more studies on female, in on ladies in medieval times, women in medieval times, um, women in uh, 18th century and their power. So it's based on our society. So our society will open up new things. I believe that there, there are two ways to answer your story, your question. First, for example, if you take the, the series Viking, it doesn't give a real representation of Vikings, but it has created a massive, a massive increase in Viking studies all over um, Northern Europe. If you see, like I told you, I work uh, academically in medieval studies, you see the amount of job offers in Old Norse literature and uh, studying the, the, um, the the nordic nordic mythology things like that it's huge and this is because of a movie series that has influenced now 
we are, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, um, scholar world. And later on, yes, people believe that the Vikings were had fur everywhere and had long beards and, and had tattoos on their faces and things like that. But this is the general public. But then historians will uh, find something else. And then later on, you will have another vision uh, based on the uh, different times. So I think it will be the same for Napoleon. I think it will create a sort of vacuum of Napoleonic studies. And in France, we can already realize that we had um, the 200 years of Napoleon. Uh, and um, and it uh, this movie has really created a hype on Napoleon uh, music, on Napoleon museums. I, um, it, everyone is doing debates, conferences, things like that. So it, it gives a lot of, um, so people will then um, have new, new things to, to speak about. But sometimes he creates the opposite, just a little, a last little thing. Uh, sometimes he creates the opposite where, for example, in 2005, when uh, Ridley did his um, Kingdom of Heaven, it was really the end of crusade history. So um, this is my speciality. Um, it has really reduced since 2005, uh, even though there's heaps of things to say on that time period. And films, just last, last thing. <laughs> Sorry, I told you historians have long answers. Um, really? Last, okay. Um, for example, if you see the movie, The Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, is it in English? Um, the beginning, there's, there's actually the a red a red thing, uh, a red um, a red curtain at the beginning. And the movie director is saying, remember that Pharaoh is actually Stalin and we are now fighting the communists. And so <laughs> they, they, you actually have an introduction to the movie that tells you clearly that the purpose, the dialogue, the whole storyline is not here to tell a story about Moses and Pharaoh but it's here to tell you a story about the present time where the film was. And I believe the movie of Napoleon is, um, is, uh, is has got a bit the same. It tells us a good story on, on how very important fellows, very important politicians have very big doubts. And um, even though they're very genius, very masters of tactics, god of wars, very talented, um, and um, very ambitious, and it gives you very the insights. It's very interesting. It is. It is. I I can understand that the you know there's there's prisms that we look at history through, and that is again reflected by the you know the art and the filmmaking that we make at the same time. So just how just as there's prisms that academic academics and historians work through, it's the same for filmmakers. Another Definitely. question, another question that we um, we have from our listeners, one of the last ones, um, is from Brian Williams, and he asks, "What was the process behind deciding how to depict Napoleon's, Napoleon's famous marshals, such as Ney, and how much advice and input into their characterization did you give?" And a, a little additional question from myself is, Napoleon's perhaps the best known historical figure of that period. Um, oh, he is. He's the best known. Without doubt. Uh, be, yeah. Before the twenty, he's more known than Jesus, in the uh, sense in the sense that we know more detail about his childhood. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, yeah, we know. We, we, he's the most detailed character in the world 
before the 21st the 20th century mm. so okay. my, my question there was are there any others from that period that you think are as deserving of a of a, of a film or or a depiction on screen so oh, two-part question okay okay, okay. um how did you, what was the process process of deciding which of you know Napoleon's many marshals to uh, mm-hmm. to include in in the film, and your your uh, your uh, support in interpreting you know their depiction on screen, and then also the second half of it is, is there anyone from that that sphere that period that that group of people that surrounded Napoleon that you think would make a, a great protagonist for a film of their own? Um. So hand meetings with all the actors individually to speak about the character is very interesting, even though they knew that there will not be as much on screens as the other on or as Napoleon and not have as Joaquin and not have that many lines. They worked. (laughs) They worked. So we talked, there is Juno in the movie. There is Lucien Bonaparte. There is is, um, Colincourt. There is Ney. There is also Fouché, you see him very quickly, but we had a discussion. And um, and sadly, you, you don't see them much, but you understand because the movie is about Napoleon. Even though Napoleon was never alone, it was always accompanied with people around. Mm-hmm. He was always with court and, uh, and uh, he, was, he received advice from his marshals. Um, you don't really have that in the movie, but it's a. I I didn't mind because you had just like this question you didn't ask, which but I will answer it. Like, how did I feel about Napoleon charging on a horseback in Borodino, yeah. Moscow, yeah, and Waterloo as well, and Waterloo as well? Like Napoleon, it, it, for if imagine um, Napoleon, it's a true thing. He's the last fighting king. How do you represent it without mentioning it? Um, put him on a horseback and charge. I, I, I honestly, I we know that Napoleon did it once, uh, but we know he definitely didn't do it in uh, Waterloo. But if you saw him leave the field in his carriage, it would have looked like a coward, which he wasn't. And so to see him in the heat of the battle, and Wellington say you couldn't help yourself. Uh, this really accentuates real part of Napoleon's personal epicness and character, which are accurate. And so, and it, it, it creates a real character that in reality, Napoleon was the last fighting king and still is the last fighting king. And so I, I, um, I honestly, the fact that the other ones, the other marshals were less described help to create him more and as an epic as a man of decision as a, um, a leader and so that's why the other ones are a bit reduced and it's a very sad but um but um i'm not sure it would have worked yeah yeah it's a filmmaking decision yeah and I, I, and honestly i think for this movie how it was organized i think it's a good one mm. um but it's not mine to judge. <laughs> I've got to answer. I've got to say. Um, and uh, the other question is from this time period, another character from this time period? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Talleran would be a fascinating person to to you know. Oh, look at what, a film and, what a traitor! What a traitor! You know, you know, the funny thing about Talleran. Something you might not know. So Talleran was a bishop, and uh, uh, and Talleran was uh, defrocked. So he was just elected bishop right. of Burgundy. Mm. So it was that if I oh, lived okay. yeah. if I lived in the 18th century, Talleyrand would have been my bishop. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's the best traitor. He's the best. He's the best. The slyest person of the of the 19th century. I didn't say traitor in a mean way. I mean sly, <laughs> but not in a mean way. He was very smart, very very no, Machiavellian. Yeah, he is the Machiavellian person. Anyway, and he when Napoleon. Um, actually attacks in Egypt. He names him, uh, in, he nominates uh, Talleyrand, Prince de Benevent. So Napoleon attacked all uh, land that was owned by the Pope. So there was uh, belongings of the church. And he names, Napoleon names one of the church, all bishop, previously bishop, as a prince of that place. So it's a really outrageous thing to do. Uh, to mock the Pope. Um, very, very interesting. So we, we talked about anecdotes like that with the actors and uh, with Paul, um, with, um, yeah, with the actors. It was very interesting. And another character from that time period, I told you I'm not really, 19th century is very complex. Um, I've got heaps of medieval characters uh, for oh, you. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, and I've done my thesis on one character. It was very flawed and very complex based on the Fourth Crusade. And uh, and there's definitely uh, a movie or a series to do about him uh, or about the Fourth Crusade, which is incredible, full of treason and betrayal. Um, I think there's... Uh, there, it's not the last movie on Napoleon. And, uh, and you could do so much again on him mm. on napoleon's genius on napoleon's strategy on napoleon um on not so much on napoleon politics a lot of people are like criticizing the movie and are saying why didn't you influence on the fact that napoleon invented the bank of france or or the court counts uh, and the and the street plate numbers you know, you know, Napoleon invented the the fact that we've got numbers in the streets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how bad? Very, how bad? very, very. Yeah, but it's a bad influential scene. Influential <laughs> figure outside of martial things, obviously. But yeah, I, I, I can understand why that would not be included in the film. Yeah, you know, him, him working on on you know the basis of of modern common law is probably not the most fascinating. Yeah. But but there is film, there, but... It, it could be good on, for example, Napoleon and water. Uh, Napoleon helped out after French Revolution. A lot of people privatized water, uh, especially in Paris. And Napoleon created a lot of public fountain fountains. So right. if you make if if you make things on that, it could be very interesting to accentuate that Napoleon was really loved by the people of Paris because he made mm. water free and clean again. Right, that's fascinating. We don't There's so many facets of his personality things. and character that it's oh, very difficult definitely. to get it into a film. And that is one of the things that I could I could see from the film that very specific choices have been made about how he what it how napoleon was portrayed it's often very different and quite separate from how 
he's viewed in the popular consciousness as this you know this great military general but again there's very you know there's there's some bizarre moments in the film where you can see that he's a very flawed individual and i i found it interesting that the director decided to to focus heavily on on that sort of human character side side of, of napoleon which um, is accurate yeah and um that's what is so fascinating about it is that in mm. the um it, the choices are very peculiar very bold very bold choices when you think about it because people when they not what people it, would expect is it yeah people would expect the statue him in the mm. hat the riding coat and the hand in the Crossing pocket. The Alps, if the Alps have been in the film. <laughs> and the hand in the pocket. And that's mm-hmm. never done. Because why is that? It's too easy. Mm. Joaquin, when we discussed, he would say, never spoon feed the information to the audience. I like that expression. It doesn't exist in French. And I've got kids, so I know what spoon feeding is. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's very interesting. Because here... You don't know. You don't know how Josephine influenced him that much. She's not a girl boss. She's just a strong female, which she was. And uh, she is so in love with her. He's like a kid. Napoleon was very teenager-like sometimes. Sometimes, I say. He was a very rational man, but sometimes he was really... He had different, very, very peculiar habits about pinching people, pinching the cheek of Napole- of what Josephine ladies in waiting until she cried. Um, it's accurate. You know, well, why did he do that? Everyone felt awkward about it. So mm. awkward that they wrote about it and they were like, oh, that was weird. And so, and, and Napoleon was laughing about it. So he would sometimes arrive and push his doctor so hard that he would, uh, and then, uh, and then laugh, and uh, the doctor would have fallen. And it, I suppose that's again a, a a product of his upbringing. You know, the, all those years in the uh, you know in Corsica in the military college, and you know that that upbringing that is so harsh and martial is has created this. Uh, probably, probably. Um, sort of it's a, I think, I think there's a there's a book to write on Napoleon's uh, psychology. I'm not a psychologist, but somebody could uh interest um and, and there's heaps there's so much to do about him um mm. still um but we'll see what the future brings but this this movie is very good on uh, on so many points and we got so many points right um on my side of things i'm very happy um i'm very happy on my side of things and uh and definitely yeah i think i don't know you you're what do you think I, I think it's a very interesting film. I, I thought I was jarred by it in a lot of ways. And I, I think the more I think about it, that might be Ridley Scott's intention was to jar people out of the um, the, the classic appreciation of Napoleon. I had yeah. I had my issues with the film, which I'll, I'll talk about with uh, later on in the episode, around, you know, uh, script and some of the historical choices around skipping those two years 1813 14 i thought that would have been a great thing to focus more on in the film that sort of thing but again film is a very personal medium and it's for the you know the viewer the filmmaker puts across their um their vision and then the the individual 
watches that creation and then appreciates it through their own prisms. So this is a review podcast and we we, we do it every week. But again, watching a film and reviewing it, it's, it's a very personal thing. I can see from a lot of the reviews of the film that it's it's very um, very much one side or the other where people yeah, I, I worked on I worked on the last duel so I'm telling you same thing yeah <laughs> either you I, love the movie or you hate it it's very very that it, crazy crazy it seems to it seems to be a, a characteristic of of Ridley's current you know output is that people either really like it or they just can't get get behind yeah. it and can't get on with it and it, that's fascinating in its own right. This whole I, conversation we've had. Go on, sorry. Oh uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. I was just going to say that our whole conversation has been absolutely fascinating, and I had one final, more general question for you, um, which was. Oh, just before your question. Carry on. Go on. Um, you, you, um, you had a point. We, absolutely. Yeah, just uh, something you said. You really liked, um, uh, Waterloo, and. Um, and accurately, a lot of people believe, even historians believe that uh, Napoleonic War was really like everyone standing by, shoot, bang, move, shoot, moving the troops. That's true. But um, osteoarchaeologists, so when you analyze bones, you realize that they were very, and according to te- historical texts and uh, medical uh, references as well, so you've got very few people that died um, by uh, bullets. Uh, a lot of people were injured by bullets and very few were injured by bayonets. And when you see that a lot of in France, it's really criticized this sort of Gaulish or, or ancient and barbaric battle that you see in the movie. But actually, yeah, it is. it seems uh, kind of accurate on how the battle could have at some point ended on close combat. And so... Um, because according to osteoarchaeology and sources, it's true that Napoleonic War, how he designed it, has had reduced the amount of people who died on the battlefield. He developed a medical uh, system with medical ambulances that would yes, actually yes. W- w- that would take people from both sides. Uh, so that was that was crazy. Uh, this uh, this uh, guy dealing with the the ambulances. Uh, was very revered by the British because for his uh, the fact that he took care also of the other soldiers on the battlefield, and um, so the, the the battle very sometimes a brutal, uh, brutal and um, I don't know how you can describe it, um, uh, very World War One, uh, <laughs> very World War One, uh, no man's land type uh, it is kind of accurate according to the sources um i can't say it's the most precise uh, we don't but it's uh war is not clean whatever the time no certainly not that's very true yeah sorry so the last question sorry yeah okay uh, so that the whole conversation has been absolutely fascinating but i have one more final general sort of question for you do you have a uh, a favorite historical film that isn't Napoleon, isn't the last jewel. I'm I'm always interested to know what people working in the field and historical advisors and you know what what historical films do, do they really love. I really like the duelists. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, we we reviewed that and we 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 absolutely love that film. Mm-hmm. It's 
probably my one of my absolute favorite Ridley Scott films. Um, so just uh, speaking Ridley, um, in general, uh, it doesn't have to be uh, Ridley. Script, yeah, script wise, script wise, I think uh, Gladiator is there mm-hmm. because uh, the the it is the epitome of manhood and a very good take on stoicism. Uh, no, my best. It's uh, the passion, the passion, passion. passion. Right. Oh yeah, passion is is impressive. Uh, the a very impressive on the the historical advice. The it's a Jesuit that was uh, the historical advisor on that, and wow. uh, okay. he 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 passed away. Uh, he was also the dialect coach, so he spoke Aramean, he spoke Greek, he spoke Hebrew. Wow. Uh, he the the guy is a legend among the biblical is specialized in the bible and specialized in um and it's sadly he passed away so so they so yeah yeah the it's um it's a subject i i uh, i really appreciate and um and there are some things that are not in the bible that are based on visions of saint catherine emmerich um and and also it's very related to material sources like the Shroud of Turin. Um, and so the passion is very, very good and moving. And you can't, um, this is the longest scene of torture in the movie world, 17 minutes, uh, if I remember well. And, um, and it's, it's very good. So I would say that, which one is yours? It's it's an incredibly difficult question because oh, yeah, it is. It there's is. been some amazing filmmaking made around, you know. And you caught um, me off guard. I know. I, <laughs> I I throw these things at people, and then they throw it back, and I'm just as, you know, thrown. I think within the within the Napoleonic period, I really have a a, a special place for Master and Commander, the Peter Weir film. Mm. Oh, um, that is yeah, definitely accurately. I would say yes. This one is great. Yeah, um, but um, I like the duelist. Um, um, the duelist is not the, the kind of movie you watch every day. When no, Master, it's not. Master it's not. and Commander and Gladiator, you could be watch it and rewatch it. And there's a sense of detail. It's um, uh, less psychological. It's 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 great. It's great. It's a great movie. Mm. Well, thank and, you so um, much for joining me and, and thank you. And chatting we, about we did, the we film did way the longer, but you were you were nice, so so oh. I, uh, <laughs> I took my time. <laughs> I, no, I really do appreciate you coming on and chatting to us, uh, you know, about the film and and the work you did on it, um, and you know, having the opportunity to to chat a bit about some of the the work behind making those scenes come to life. It was really very illuminating. Um, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So there we go. We hope you enjoyed those two full-length interviews there um, with Paul Biddis and uh, Loris uh, Chevalier. Um, we really, really hope you enjoyed them. And um, thanks a lot uh, to the two chaps for joining us. It, it means a lot. Um, and we love bringing you these interviews. And uh, do stick around. Uh, next week, uh, we have our December output starting with Operation Delta Force December. If you're a fan of action movies. Very, very different fare. Very different fare. Um, if you're a fan of 90s actioners, um, you know, with uh, you know, drum magged machine guns, explosions, 
um, evil baddies doing things that evil baddies do, um, then you'll love uh, Operation Delta Force December. And we are joined next week by Sam Furstenberg, the director of Operation Delta Force, to talk us all about making that movie. So please join us again. And uh, Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.